This podcast is brought to you by Reynolds and Reynolds, the industry leader in automotive technology. Find out what Reynolds is up to in the digital retailing space by visiting reyrey.com slash register. That's R-E-Y, slash register. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Daily Drive. I'm Steve Smith with Automotive News. It's Tuesday, May 4th. This Saturday, May 8th, Tesla CEO Elon Musk will host Saturday Night Live. More than 600 people have hosted the show since its debut on October 11, 1975, and most represent entertainers and sports icons. A fair share of politicians have graced the SNL stage over the past 45 years, and most fans of the iconic show could probably rattle off the list of celebrities who are among the Five Timers Club, those guests that have hosted SNL at least five times. But when it comes to senior corporate executives, Musk joins a rare club of others who have played the role he will play this Saturday. Who's in that club? Well, Steve Forbes and Donald Trump, who were both CEOs in their private lives but appeared on the show as political candidates. And then there's NBC President Brandon Tartikoff, who hosted the 160th episode of the show on October 9, 1983. That's it. A rare club indeed. As a lead-up to Saturday's show, we continue our Daily Drive Rewind with Part 2 of the August 2020 Daily Drive conversation between Tesla CEO Elon Musk and automotive news publisher Jason Stein. In this installment of the three-part series, the CEO opens up about the prospects of a third U.S. assembly plant, why the company picked Austin, Texas for its next factory, spending zero time thinking about J.D. Power rankings, and the potential for offering small cars and minivans. He also reveals his inspiration for, and his ambitions for, Tesla's Cybertruck. Oh, and one last bit of Saturday Night Live history before we get to part two. One that perhaps is dipped in a bit of irony. Among the list of 600 guests that have hosted the show is Unsafe at Any Speed author Ralph Nader, who hosted the show on January 15, 1977. Enjoy part two of our discussion with Tesla CEO Elon Musk. Speak, speaking of cars, you announced that you're going to Texas to expand your manufacturing uh, capability. How important was that decision and why Texas? <clears throat> It's, it's high time that we built a second automotive plant in the U.S. I mean, right, right now, I mean, just factually, 70% of all Tesla vehicles are made in, in Fremont, in the Bay Area, um, the San Francisco Bay Area, which is a pretty expensive place to make cars um, and somewhat counterintuitive, to say the least. Um, but, but nonetheless, 70% of all Tesla vehicles worldwide are made in the Bay Area. Um, now, once we have Berlin operating... Um, Obviously, that, that that'll shift the you know we'll we'll finally have a factory in in Europe and not have to build cars in California and then put them on a ship and send them through the you know Panama Canal, get all the way over to Europe and you know pay sort of import duties and all that sort of stuff and then put them on a truck and it's just not not very efficient. It's not good for the environment. You wish, we should really be building cars locally, at least on the continent where the customers are. So, um, so so at least we'll ha- so we'll, we'll have. Shanghai factory, so factory in China, factory in the U.S., factory in Europe. But we also need a second factory in North America because we really should be, uh, we should not be building cars in California and then and then transporting them all the way to the, to the East Coast. It's, it's it's expensive and again like not very good for the environment to be transporting cars across the entire country. Um, you know, we should be closer to the East Coast, um, and so. 
Yeah, now, Texas is actually our second biggest market in the U.S., even though there's some challenges on selling in Texas. Despite that, it's still our second biggest market in the U.S. Um, and it's um, you know, good from a logistics standpoint, um, relatively easy access to the East Coast um, and obviously the center of the country. Um, and there was this also, uh, you know, when, when talking to key members of the team that would that would need to move to Austin from California in order to get the factory going. Uh, Austin was their top pick, to be totally frank. That was you know, that was a, a big factor in in choosing Texas and Austin, but specific, specifically Austin. Um, I, I guess a lot of people from California, if you ask them what's the one place you'd move outside of California, it's Austin. Um, so, uh, so that 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 was a big factor because I just went around the room with the team and said, "Hey, where, where would where do you want to spend time? You know, and and, and where would you potentially move?" And they're like, "Well, Austin was just the number one choice." So, um, so that's that's why <laughs> that's kind of where we picked uh, Austin. Um, and I asked them like, "Well, what about Dallas?" And they're like, "Well, no." They, 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 they just want to go to Austin. So I'm like, okay, you know, we're a very, very talented team, and it, it, it really makes a difference if where, where they want to go, you know. So you had, you had people in in Oklahoma who also wanted you as well. Oh yeah, no, it's not a question of who who wants a Tesla. It's just I, I got to, you know, it's like there's a certain critical mass of engineering and manager, management talent that are needed to create this factory and, 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 and do the manufacturing engineering. And, and like I said, our factories are not just, you know, making a copy. It's each factory is a product and each factory has a lot of innovation and a, each factory is more advanced than the last one. So th- th- there's a massive amount of manufacturing engineering and just, uh, and then, and, and that uh, wraps back into the product engineering. So we make the, the, the car design easier to manufacture um, and we, and we improve the manufacturing system itself. So basically you need a lot of smart, talented people. It's not just, you know, drop, drop. It's not like, Hey, let's just drop a copy machine somewhere. This is the, the factory itself is the product. As I said, on the earnings call, the factory is the product won the car. Uh, so it matters where, where are this very talented people willing to go and, and what's, and where, where, what is an uphill battle? Uh, Austin was not an uphill battle. That's why we picked Austin. So could there be additional areas of the U.S. that you consider for manufacturing beyond this? Yeah, I think at some point there'll be a third uh, bigger factory. Um, I probably, I'd imagine, you know, closer up north and northeast, um, most likely. But I'm, I'm not sure at this point. I mean, we've got our hands full between building Giga Berlin and Giga Texas. Um, that's for sure. And, and all of the vehicle programs that are coming down the, the pike with the Cybertruck, Semi, um, you know, the roads, New Roadster. Um, we've got, obviously, the on the solar side, we've got the solar glass roof and the power walls, mega, mega pack, the you know, power pack, this... Um, you know, got to got to make sure we solve the autonomy question. So it's just like there's a massive amount of stuff to, to do. Um, 
But do I think at some point we will have a third plant in North America? Uh, I think that's very likely. Over, over what kind of time frame? Can, can you even see the time horizon at this point? Um, probably four or five years. Okay. So, I, I guess we'd start construction. Probably. I mean, this is not a, this is, you're literally just asking me, it's not like I've got like, let me literally consult my strategic plan. Of like, uh, this is literally a spur of the moment. <laughs> um, r- rough guess. Uh, probably we'd start construction in four years-ish. Um, that's, that's just like my sort of stream of consciousness guess. Sure. Are you still considering moving your headquarters out of California? Um, well, that's going to require a lot more thought. Obviously, there's, there's no question that our headquarters will remain in California in the short term. Um, uh, long term, we'll, we'll have to see, you know. So, but the, certainly the vast majority of the Tesla management and engineering staff is in California. So, you know, that, that, that is certainly our headquarters for now and um, for some time into the future. Is it hard manufacturing in California? The, the, there have been some issues with paint quality, and that's been well documented. And one major reason is that the cars are, are made in an environment where there are stringent EPA uh, guidelines, uh, uh, restrictions. Does that lead to a discussion about maybe the wisdom of building cars in California going forward? I mean, for sure, the permitting process in California is extremely onerous. Um, the, I'm probably the, the Bay Area and L.A. are, might, they might be the hardest places to, to do any, any kind of emissions on Earth, which is to say that if, which, which means that you have to be extremely clean in your manufacturing in those areas, which I, I, I do actually agree with, by the way. Um, and I wouldn't, I, I would not, lay blame on California for any paint issues that Tesla's had. I think I would internalize that responsibility and say, you know, that that's kind of our fault, not the state. Um, I, I, do, I do wish the state would, you know, process documents faster and maybe consolidate some of the regulatory bodies. There's just, there's just so many regulators um, and, and so many regulatory agencies and they, you know, they all had a reason for being there at some point in the past, but, I think it would be wise to just just take a look at just how many regulatory agencies there are and say, like, maybe we should combine some of these and not have, like, 12 referees on the field, you know? Sure. You need referees on the field, but, you know, how many referees do you want on the field? Sure. <laughs> you don't want more referees than players, you know? That'd be weird. So, <laughs> um, but, but finally, this is not California's fault. It's our fault um, where, where we've had some issues. Um, and, and, you know, it's, in some cases, it was... Uh, you know, we had, we had a thing where we outsourced like a bumper to a supplier, which was a mistake. Um, and uh, because, because they had, they just had trouble doing paint matching, and it was anyway. We, we just we just brought that bumper painting it back, back in house, and, and actually now it's good. I think actually our, our paint quality right now is pretty good. To be clear, um, we just we just had a few bumps in the road. Uh, also, we were able to activate our South Paint Shop. So there's two major paint shops, uh, North Paint and South Paint, and they're both gigantic. Um, and uh, for a while, they were just we were basically just operating out of North Paint, um, and um, and now now we've almost got South Paint fully activated. I think pretty close, and so we can focus North Paint just on uh, Model Three and Model Y, and South Paint on S and X, 
Um, and that allows to really just hone in on the, the paint quality of, of, of those vehicles. Uh, instead of putting all four vehicles, which are very different sizes and shapes, uh, through one paint shop. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back with more. Consumers today are pushing for remote and virtual experiences. What you may think is a simple fix by going fully online quickly results in an even bigger problem, loss of control and shrinking profit margins. The question isn't if you go online, it's how. How is it done in a way that you don't sacrifice the success of your overall dealership? The answer? Tune in starting May 17th for a virtual summit hosted by Reynolds & Reynolds. You will gain educational insight into all things digital retail, challenges to the status quo, how to retail anywhere without sacrificing anything, and the true impact on dealerships just like yours through one-on-one dealer conversations. This event is on us and on demand. Grab a seat while they last. We hope to see you there. To register for the virtual summit and learn more about retail anywhere, visit reyrey.com slash register. That's R-E-Y, R-E-Y dot com slash register. I'm sure you followed some of the J.D. Power um, IQS or the appeal surveys and Tesla doesn't allow J.D. Power to survey owners in 15 states where the approval is required. Can I ask you why not? And would your position change as you become more mainstream? Uh, I don't even know. I don't. I, I think zero about J.D. Power. I mean, meaning like I, I don't. And I, I spent zero amount of time. I, I don't even know what J.D. J.D. Power is doing. <laughs> so you know, at one point I made a joke like, you know. <laughs> it's like every everybody's got a JD Power award. Like I don't know anyone who doesn't have a JD Power award. Um, yeah, yeah. Like to tell you frank, they, they they do give out a lot of awards. Um, so um, at the end of the day, the thing that really matters is consumer satisfaction. And if you look at consumer satisfaction about Teslas, they're the highest of, of any car in the market. So all things considered, uh, there's no question that can, that. Uh, people are happiest with our cars than, than any other vehicle. And that's true of consumer. If, if you look at the consumer reports, um, you know, when, when they do their survey or J.D. Power does their survey, we actually are the, are the highest on consumer satisfaction. So we may not be perfect in every res- respect, but what really matters as a consumer, what really matters if you're buying a car is, um, is your, your, is your satisfaction after the purchase, all things considered. And Tesla has the highest in the industry. From from that perspective, and let's talk a little bit about product for a minute. You you mentioned um, some of the expansion areas that that you're looking at. What what type of customer research did you do in developing the Cybertruck? Oh, zero. <laughs> customer research. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I mean, we just made a car, a car we thought was awesome, um, and uh, you know. I, I, it looks super weird. I mean, I just wanted to make a, a futuristic, you know, like a futuristic battle tank, you know, that's something that looks like it could come out of Blade Runner, you know, or Aliens or something like that, you know. Um, and, but, but that is also highly functional. Um, so it was like, it had incredible capabilities. Like, basically it was like, 
faster than a Porsche 911 and a bit more, you know, more towing power, more trucking capability than F-150. So it's a better, better sports car than 911, better truck than F-150, if you, do, you know, and, and, and it's armored. Um, and it looks sort of kick-ass from the future. Um, that's, that was the goal. Recognizing that uh, this could be a complete failure, um, <laughs> and, 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 and people are like, "Oh wow, you're crazy! Uh, that car doesn't look like any other car. We are not going to buy it." That could have been one of the outcomes, um, but I wasn't super worried about that because it's like, okay, if, if it turns out nobody wants to buy our weird-looking truck, then we'll build a normal truck. No problem. There's like, you know. There's lots of normal trucks out there that look pretty much the same. You can hardly tell a difference. Um, and and sure, we could just do, just do some coffee cat truck. That's, that's easy. So that's our fullback strategy. So I didn't think it was all that risky to coming out with Cybertruck because it might have just been some weird niche product that not many people were interested in. Um, yeah, but then we could always just revert to doing a, you know, a truck that's much more like other trucks. Um, now, as it turns out, we, the re- reaction has been amazing. Um We've had several hundred thousand people place orders for the truck, and uh, it's really been we've, we've seen more excitement about the Cyber Truck than any product we've ever unveiled. You you still see it classified as a medium duty, say on par with a a Ford Super Duty or a Silverado twenty five hundred, or would it be would it be more in line with an F one fifty? It's it, it's it'll be better than f-150 um and at one point you know i, I was like man this car truck's pretty big i wonder if it's too big um and, and I, I should say we we we, we, we I sort of made the exact decision to to not make this a world truck so it does not comply with um a lot of specifications and you know like it doesn't comply with a lot of like the eu spec and stuff but that's okay we can always build a slightly smaller truck that does comply with the EU spec in, you know, in the future. Um, and, you know, and, you know, there's maybe some slight chance of getting, um, you know, a, a pass. I mean, maybe we can get, an, I don't know, some exceptions to the EU rules, depending upon how it's classified. Um, but we're really fundamentally making this truck for, uh, as a North American uh, ass kicker, basically. Um, and it's, the goal is to kick the most amount of ass possible with this, this truck. So we want it to be something that you could use to, you know, tow tow a, you know, a boat, a horse trailer, um, you know, pull tree stumps out of the ground, you know, go off-roading, yeah, and 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 uh, you don't even have to worry about scratching the paint because there's no paint, you know. So you could just be smashing boulders and, you know. And be fine. It'd be great. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like some badass off-roading, you know. And um, you know, it's going to have the ability to access the battery pack. So you know, just, you don't even need a generator because it's got really high power, like you know, two forty volt as well as one ten. Um, you know, high amperage. You know, you, easily power any kind of power tool situation you want. Um, and uh, it even has a compressor built in if you need an air compressor because we have that for the air suspension so you can just tap the air compressor um, you know so, so you, know, you could use it for like if you're running a construction site 
you can use it. It's going to be, you know, great for a construction site, great as a utility car, great as a fun car. Um, and it's like literally, you know, the body panels a bulletproof to a handgun. So, you know, probably helpful in the apocalypse. These things are seeming more apocalyptic these days. So, you know, the tr- the, let me tell you, the truck you want in the apocalypse is a cyber truck. A truck for the apocalypse. This is like a good, mar- good marketing tagline. Yes, we wish to be the leaders in uh, apocalypse uh, technology. <laughs> are, are you targeting a different type of customer than the more traditional, fiercely loyal pickup customers that are out there? Uh, well, I don't know. We're not really trying to target anyone. Uh, if, if, they, if they like the cyber truck, cool. Um, if they don't, um, but, but yeah. So, but I, I, I don't know that we're necessarily trying to, we're, we're not doing any marketing targeting. Honestly, we just made a car that we, that we love and we, we think is cool. And, and if those who share that feeling will buy it and those who do not will not. But we're not trying to, you know, play some marketing game. We're just trying to create products that we think people will love. With the, the Model Y out, Cybertruck, Semi, Roadster, Looming, how much bigger can the portfolio get? Well, I guess over time we, we would have to, if it would make sense to address all of the key functional areas. Um, you know, so you know, it probably would make sense at some point to do a more compact vehicle um, and to do um, kind of like a, a van or minivan. That's guys capable of like being a like a utility van as well as a van for people. Um, maybe we wouldn't do a minivan; we'd just do a van van, you know, or something in between a minivan and a van. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea. <laughs> so there's still plenty of segments that you think Tesla could compete in. Uh yeah, absolutely. Anything really exciting? Well, you know, one thing would be like, like, can you make a minivan that looks good? But nobody's ever done that. So that's that's something that could be in the queue. And anything else that, that would be really appealing? Well, like I said, we've got a lot of parts that we still have to com- complete all of the design for manufacturing stuff and build the factory and all that. Um, so this our product roadmap is already pretty full. But, you know, there's at least the van minivan thing and this, this, this sort of combat car. Um, like you want something that, you know, you could park in a tight space, you know, in downtown Paris or something like that. That's Daily Drive for Tuesday, May 4th. Join us tomorrow for the final installment of our interview with Elon Musk. In the meantime, go to autonews.com for breaking news and autonews.com forward slash Daily Drive to catch up on all of our episodes of the podcast. Make it a great Tuesday, everyone. We'll be back tomorrow.